Good evening and welcome to the Mind Behind Leadership live on talkradio.nyc, live from New York uh, with me, Graham Dobbin. Every week we speak to leaders from a broad range of disciplines. We explore what makes a great leader, how do we build businesses, teams, be an influencer. Because uh, here's the thing, leaders are all around us impacting our lives positively and some maybe not so. And the big thing nowadays that we've noticing is everyone's got an opinion on what a great leader looks like. There's nowhere at all to hide. Now, interestingly, this evening, we're going to have a quick look at a year-long extensive study that's been done by Comparable.com. And it was just released this week, and it shows which companies are regarded as having their great, a great leadership by the people who really matter. That's the employees. So as I say, we'll have a look at that later on in the show. And it's not just about being the head of a global business it can be about ensuring that we're looking after those around us, our families, our friends, our neighbours, our business contacts. And that's what makes me really excited tonight. Because alongside me for the next hour, we've got Mike Macedonio. Not only is he the co-founder of a global business, but he works extensively with organisations and communities locally. So just to give you a little bit of a background, Mike's a New York Times best-selling author, speaker and entrepreneur. Um, he's a co-founder of Ascentive. And by using referral strategies that the Centre teaches, Mike has built uh, a centre from a small training and consulting company to a franchised organisation with over 60 locations in six continents. He's also the co-executive director of BNI in the Bay Area, that's Business Network International. And in this role, he helps thousands of local businesses, owners, uh, sorry, business owners, build their businesses through structured networking. He lives life with passion. I've known him for about four or five years. I can absolutely guarantee he does. And adventure. One of his proudest moments was twice competing the Leadville Trail 100-mile mountain bike race in Colorado. That's, that's quite impressive, Mike. But one thing he's not done is delivered on Grubhub in New York City on a bike. That's something to, to do. And what he also does is he gives back to the community by holding a position on the board of directors for the Wisconsin Big Cat Rescue a non-profit organization caring for abused or neglected tigers and lions. And when he's not helping entrepreneurs, big cats and cycling, is a passion for his wife, Dawn, and for entertaining friends. Mike Macedonio, good evening. Hey, Graham, it's so great to hear you. It's so great to see you. Thank you for having me on your show. <laughs> you're welcome. I'm looking forward to this. Um, Mike, you just said to me that you're just back from a cycle. How many hours a day do you have, considering all these things you do? Now, you're based in California, so I just want to check. Is it still 24 hours? There's, there's plenty of time for a bike ride. And this is a, beautiful, <laughs> this is a beautiful part of the country to do it most of the year. So unlike you in New York, you kind of get shut down in the wintertime with a little bit of winter. Not, not here. Well, it, it, I, I can assure you, it's not winter now. I, I can assure you. Um, Scotsmen are not built for New York weather. Um that's not a California accent. I'm detecting something different. Yeah, so uh, originally I'm from Rhode Island. So oh, okay. from the East Coast there. So when you, when you started, you know, I've given a long list of things that you're doing there. We'll, del we'll delve into some of them a little bit deeper. But what started you off? What started you off, um, you know, as an entrepreneur? Did you just wake up one morning and say, I need to do something different? Or what was it? I, I think like most entrepreneurs, you know, as, as a kid, you saw an opportunity to get out in the neighborhood and 
make a little bit of money and put coin in your pocket. And you did what it takes, selling lemonade, uh, doing errands for the, the neighbors. Uh, my, my, I'll, I'll tell you where, where I really cut my teeth on entrepreneurship yep. uh, is with a paper route. Okay. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, you understand the work ethic of seven days a week, regardless of weather. There's homes we're going to get, you know, papers every evening and in, in the morning on the weekends. And guess what you had to do? You also had to do collections. Yeah. And if you didn't do collections, guess what happened? You, didn't you couldn't paid. pay for the papers that you bought. <laughs> and, and you know, th- these are life lessons that they didn't teach me this, by the way, in college. There was no college course I was t- that I took that said, you know, when you're in business, sometimes you need to go out there and collect. And oh, by the way, you better keep good records. You need to know everyone that paid you and how much they paid you. Okay. And of course, you need to perform. Uh, you have to perform by getting that paper to the home. By the way, it's New England. <laughs> yep. Dry, regardless if it's raining, snowing, sleeting, or anything else. And and I'll tell you, I, I can remember times where there were people that were dodging me. I knew they were home. <laughs> and there was the cat lady. And I knew she was home. And I knew she wasn't going to answer the door and pay me. And I would stay there for 20 minutes ringing that bell. If she's not going to pay me, I'm at least going to annoy her until she does. But <laughs> So, you know, I, I, I could literally bring it back to then. But unfortunately, after I got out of college, I went out to work for somebody else. And uh, I actually started in the restaurant industry. That's and I will tough, tell you, that's a tough industry. Uh, you know, as as the years went by, I really enjoyed what I was doing. But as the years went by, I uh, I really felt like I was fighting myself not to be the victim. You know, the victim of other people pulling my strings. I was actually at one point later in my career actually trying to convince myself that I wasn't an employee. Now, I worked for somebody else, an employee. But I was trying to trick myself, say, no, you're an independent contractor and you're choosing the, the work you're going to have and the person you're going to work for. And you're going to run this restaurant like you own it. And, and I'm going to tell you, that only worked for so long. And, and finally, I pulled the plug and I said, uh, I'm going to be my own boss. Said, you know what I chose to do? Go on. Anything that'll make money. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that first thing? What? First thing? Yeah. I, I came to the table with two assets, work hard and work a lot. And I excelled at both. Uh, I excelled at both. So what I was doing is I was hustling four different businesses. None of them were related. I was working 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And at the end of the day, I was paying my bills. Wow. Yes. So you created a job for you with bad hours. The pinnacle of mediocrity. I can now show my kids when I get home that we pay the bills, but I'm still going to have to cut the lawn, shovel the snow, and change the oil in my 10-year-old Nissan Stanza. And there were some things I didn't know about business and entrepreneurship. And, and, and I will credit uh, B&I for really starting to show me how to run a business differently. Okay. So tell, tell us a bit more about that. How, how did that happen? Uh, so I got involved in B&I and, 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 and I like the concept. I like business owners getting together. And quite honestly, I was really intimidated by these other business owners that I felt were so much more successful than me. And I was just trying to make money uh, yeah. doing everything on my own, by the way. All of those businessmen, everything that was getting done was getting done by me. And then I get introduced to a system where business owners are collaborating. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is pretty cool. I mean, they're actually helping each other in business, in finding business. And, and they use a philosophy called giver's gain, helping other people as a way of getting business. 
And, and I was finding as I was helping people, they wanted to help me back. Now, I like to say it a quick study, but it really took me quite a while to really grab onto this collaboration rather than self-sufficiency. Being self-sufficient was the way I grew up. And by the way, it was also reinforced in college that that's what successful business people do. They're independent, self-sufficient. Well, here's one of the lessons I also needed to learn. And, and, and for some people, you may want to write this down. When people want to help you and are willing to help you, let them. Hmm. And that is something that was so foreign to my culture of actually letting people help me. And that was completely the turning point in my entrepreneurial way of life. Uh, it is the reason why, and it's the way that we were able to build the Referral Institute, now Ascentive, to an international organization within just four or five years. Okay, just explore that just a little bit. Why do we think that people don't like to allow other people to help? Because I see lots of people wanting to help, but, but I, I agree with you. There, there are so many reluctant to actually accept it. Why do we think that is? You know, I, I don't think everybody's inflicted with the same thing I was, <laughs> although I have met other people that are. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, when I trace back my own belief system, where did that come from? It was the way I was brought up. You know, it was the way I was brought up in my family. It was the way it was shown to me, you know, in, you know, in business school, which is absolutely not the way it needs to be. It doesn't mean to be doggy dog, you know, and sometimes I probably, this is not an East Coast thing. I'm telling you, people <laughs> all over think they need to compete and fight for business where collaboration is so much easier and so much more effective. And it allows you to leverage your time. And that's what I, that's what I really grabbed onto. So you, you, you got this, this, this insight into collaboration and you linked that to the hard work ethic that you had. One of the things that, that jumps out when we're working with, with companies nowadays, um, especially in employee engagement, employees stay left a much shorter time in jobs now. I mean, they talk about millennials and Generation Z being sort of 18 months, two-year cycle on it, whereas you were talking about having to get into a mindset of choosing to work. These people seem to do that already. But they're also, in general, and I've talked, you know, we can only talk in general terms, tend to don't have the have done the lots of part-time jobs that maybe people our age have, you know, the paper rounds and selling things door to door. And, and the, how do you think that changes how, how people approach work now? Yeah, I, I think there's more choices. Mm-hmm. I think there are more choices in terms of what to do, okay, and who to do it for. You know, if you, if you really go back to, and I'm not even talking the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, but... You know, even in my parents' generation, um, you, you took that job because that was available in town. So you worked for that factory or you got that, you know, civil servant job. So you got that because it was available and you treated it like your lifeline because it was. And, and today there are so many different opportunities, so many different industries uh, that people can go in and so many different choices of companies that you can work for in, in including working for yourself. Um, you know, there was a big shift to kind of the 2008, 2009, where, um, where the economy changed. Many people kind of created jobs for themselves, worked for themselves, and created companies. Um, my guess is that's going to happen again quite soon. What's your thoughts? 
I do. I do believe that. I mean, this this crisis we're in right now is a is a shift in the economy. In some ways, it's different that, you know, the governments for people's safety yep. have put some businesses literally closing the doors or at least heavy restrictions on most people's businesses. And, and that is having a huge impact, of course, on our economy. But the drop in the economy is also very similar to 2008, 9, 10, yeah. where, you know, there were, there were industries, for example, the mortgage industry lost 60% of their mortgage brokers during that period. You, you think about being in an industry with 60% of your colleagues and competitors are going away. That's a huge drop. And, and it's, I think on a necessity, there will be people that will jump into business ownership because they, they've seen their jobs go away and they don't know how to replace them. So they're going to do it for themselves. Good news, bad news. I, yeah, yeah I, you know, and I, what we'll explore maybe a little bit later is the, how collaboration can help us on, on, on periods like this. What, what can we bring? Because I, I know you've been involved in other kind of things that have happened, um, incidents where, you know, the local communities had to come together and help each other um, a little bit more recently than, than, than 2008. So just, just a quick question before we go to break. We're going to break in a couple of minutes. Just a quick question. Are you still on the same path that you thought you were going to be on when you, when you embarked on this, I'm going to work for myself? <laughs> um, I, I, I couldn't be happier now. You know, and, and I think a lot of it is because uh, I, I do have a lot of people that I can rely on. You know, and, and I'm the, I mean, I got involved for a referral to a, the support network is far stronger and more valuable to, to me today in both my business life and my personal life uh, than anything I could ask for. Uh, that, and that just makes life easy. Okay. So after the break, we'll have a look at just what businesses you're involved in, how you've maybe evolved as a leader and, and how you collaborate. And also we'll have a look at those kind of people around you that maybe helped or who have influenced you. Okay. So this is uh, Graham Dobbin on the Mind Behind Leadership Live on talkradio.nyc. We're speaking to Mike Macedonio this evening, and we'll be right back after these. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. 
Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. with uh, Graham Dobbin and I'm speaking this evening with Mike Macedonio. Mike, you've spoken about a couple of the businesses you're involved in. Give us a little bit more detail about the collaboration and just um, what they are, where you're involved. So we mentioned uh, B&I. Mm-hmm. So in B&I, we run professional referral groups. They're small business owners locally that get together and help each other grow their business, unique with one person per profession. And my wife and I are in the San Francisco Bay Area. So in this area, we've got uh, 68 of those groups and about 1,700 business owners that are diligently collaborating to work together. Wow. And, uh, and of course, with, with Ascentive, which is a, an international coaching, training, and consulting company, uh, working more personalized with the small business owners to excel their business, getting more business, getting better business, getting their lives back. And uh, both of them are tremendously rewarding to me, uh, mostly because of the target that we're helping. Uh, in that small business space, uh, I love working with the people that uh, I call them not privileged with having endless budgets to throw at marketing. You're not privileged with having you know, such a deep organization where there's a person for each specialty. In many cases, these small business owners with limited resources are wearing multiple hats and doing a lot of different roles to, to service their clients. And, uh, and again, it'll all go back to my upbringing. You know, I grew up uh, you know, in, a, in a family that was working class. Uh, we didn't have much, although growing up, I thought we had a lot. But I was literally sharing a bathroom with six family members, uh, sharing a bedroom with my two brothers. I shared a bed until I was in high school. And I thought it was good. <laughs> I didn't know any better. I thought that was great. Um, yeah. But, you know, I was really taught to appreciate what you have and, and make the most of what you have. And that's what I see in the small business owners. You know, that, that's probably an unusual story. Again, it's not an unusual story for, for, for people of our generation. But it's probably an unusual story for um, some, some younger people now. How, does, how do you think that changes their attitude to, to maybe others? Because you, you obviously, you're grateful for what, what you've got now, what you, what you can achieve, and you want others to thrive. Do you see that being sort of carrying on when others haven't been through that experience? I, you know, unfortunately, I think we might be plagued with more of that in the United States and other parts of the world I travel. Yeah. And when I, when I go to, I met you in Lisbon, and so that was probably six years ago. And I can remember, you know, talking to those business owners and they were so ambitious. They were so excited about their economy, you know, starting to blossom. And that, of course, is something we've been privileged with here in the United States for a long time. And with that comes sometimes complacency. Until, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think it's unfortunate there there are some people that are are complacent because uh, it's almost a feeling of entitlement. And again, this is not broad brushing the entire country. No, we're, we're always going to talk element of people that are vital. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so you've got you've got the global organization, you've got you've got a center, and you're working hands-on with local businesses. 
How is it different? What kind of different approaches do you maybe need to take when you're working with other people to influence those smaller business on a global basis? What kind of approaches do you need to take? I think, I think in both cases, if you, if you really want to make a big impact, you, you need to be doing it through a lot of people. So, you know, we have a, a small staff that my wife and I have. And, uh, you know, that office staff to me is, that's gold. <laughs> and, and because they're good, that's gold. As a matter of fact, anyone ever tells you that, you know, the client's always right or the most important person is the client or the customer, that's a myth. That's a myth. Your great employees are your most important person in your business. And it's, it's much easier to fire clients They'd fire and hire new employees. And I would do that every day of the week if one of my clients mistreats one of my employees. But then you also have to have people out there in the field. And we have director consultants. We have a, a team of almost 50 of these consultants. And it's, it's about inspiring and in, in developing them so they can then pass on to work with the clients. So it's not always a uh, myself or my wife with the client, although that may happen. It's really through the team. And the same thing applies in incentive. You know, we've got people, you know, all over the world, different countries, different languages, directly working with those people with the direction and resources we give them. So I, again, that is a very different world than doing everything on your own. Yeah, it's, it's interesting what you say about employees. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's Richard Branson, I'm going to kind of paraphrase, says something about, uh, look after your employees and they'll look after the customers. You know, don't, the customer's not always first, your employees first. And this survey that I spoke about at the very beginning of the show from um, Compatible.com, um, uh, Comparable.com rather, um, the, glo- the global companies that are the, kind of the top five are not surprising. You know, you're looking at Microsofts and Googles and T-Mobiles and Adobe. Um, one that did jump out to me was Zoom. Zoom came in at number two, and it's the employees that vote for this. And, you know, we're going through big change at the moment, but a company like Zoom, they, they, these results were right up until June. So we've come, you know, we've come through some of, the, some of the issues that we've come through recently, and Zoom is on a trajectory like you would believe. But even then, they've got, they've got employees saying, our leadership is the best. They came just behind Microsoft. Really impressive. Yeah. So... What's the importance do you see of employees taking us through, you know, environments like this, where there's lots of unexpected things happening? Well, I, th- I think from the I think from the leadership point of view, uh, one important component is the culture that they create. So, what culture? And, and if they're not intentionally creating that culture, and that culture is a feeling that people in the organization are going to get. If they're not creating that. And deliberately working on that, a culture of its own will be created. And it may or may not be good, okay? but, but intentionally declaring what your culture is going to be. Um, I, would, I would expect that any of those companies, as top companies, okay, all have a, cult, a culture of employee appreciation. That the employees have a, well, the, first of all, there's going to be systems in place, but they are deliberately appreciating these people. You think of a company like Zoom. That, play, that company has skyrocketed over the past six or seven months. How do you manage that, okay, without casualties along the way? Well, you, you do that by culture. You do that by appreciation. You do that by the way that people are onboarded. 
and, and develop to be successful in an environment of almost chaos yeah. with, with such crazy growth. Again, the word chaos, you're picking a great words to say that they're just picking on me. You know, I've done some work with Google here in New York. And when you go into their offices, honestly, you you see people going about in the, you know, in the scooters. um, There's just, there's a phenomenal culture, there's a phenomenal feel, but there almost seems to be some chaos there as well, but it works and people are happy. Um, You said, this, this is really interesting. You said that culture you know, if you don't create the culture, a culture will be created on its own anyway. That's interesting. I've not actually had that before. I've not had somebody saying that. We always talk about creating a culture, but we don't say, what I kind of paraphrase what, what you seem to be saying is take control of what's created. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. You know, I, I think in it, if the, whether it's a, a, a small organization or large organizations, if, if the leadership isn't doing it, okay, the organizations, do, the people in the organization are doing. Uh, for example, it's it's not unusual to watch a company have a culture of backbiting. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and once that culture comes into it, guess what? Uh, try to change it. It's very difficult. Okay? And it's, and of course, that's very different than someone coming in with a, a culture of appreciation. And, you know, I, I was uh, talking with this coach that from Zappo. Right? And that's their lane in terms of culture. And he taught me one very, very, very valuable thing. And as he was talking about the culture, I was thinking about the culture we have in Ascentive. And I was thinking about the culture we have in BNI. And there were some things in our traditions and cultures in Ascentive and Referral Institute that I absolutely love. You know, I, I love the radical inclusion, for example. The radical inclusion. Now, you, like just about anyone else that ever gets involved in Ascentive Referral Institute, was invited to have an experience with us. <laughs> and, and with that experience, uh, there's usually this conversation that, hey, listen, uh, you know, on either day one or day two, uh, we're going to bring you home for dinner. You're going to come home, have dinner at my, my home with my wife, my business partner. We're very good cooks. We'll really enjoy it. So we can get to know each other, build a relationship. And, we, and you'll probably have some questions. Now, there are two things that happen. First of all, People are a little freaked out that I'm getting invited to the founder's house. Literally, every franchise and every person that we brought into referral and student center from the very beginning, and that process included coming over for dinner. But that's a culture to me of service. And I think within that culture, it means it doesn't matter your position within the organization. We all have a position to serve one another. And that culture doesn't happen just in the sales process. It also happens when people come out for trainings, that people know there's going to be a family dinner and we're all going to get together and we're all going to work together. I'm preparing a dinner for ourselves. Now, I also mentioned radical inclusion. The number one thing I would hear from people when they come out, okay, and they would experience what we're doing, whether it's a certification or a conference, and then we would meet for dinner. And I would say, so what did you think of today? He goes, oh, my God. It it almost always sounds just like this. I feel like I'm part of this, even though I'm not part of it yet. Everyone made me feel like I belonged. They didn't treat me anything differently because I'm an outsider. And, and, and that radical inclusion, that service heart, that family dinner experience to me was an important culture. Now, here's what the coach from Zappo taught me. 
if you're going to maintain a culture, you need to do what most business owners tend to run from. You ready? You got to have rules. A great culture needs to have rules. And there's one other thing. You have to have rules with consequences. So when someone's behavior is not supporting that culture, okay, that, that culture of, say, of appreciation, if there yep. was a manager that was not using those tools and maybe they were using a stick, there has to be a rule in place for that and there has to be a consequence for that manager. <clears throat> Inside, there, there's, a, there's a famous story, I think it's Paul O'Neill who took over an alcohol um, and turned the, turned the company around. I'm going to say aluminium. Aluminum? Uh-huh. I can't say that. Is it aluminum? Aluminum. Like, yeah, aluminum. Um, and they, they created a culture of safety looking after, after their workers. And there was one board member, probably strongest, most, um, most strong ally, made a mistake. And he didn't look after the workers. And Paul got rid of them. Um, because it was just against the culture. And they knew if he allowed that to happen, it might get through the whole business. So he was extremely careful. We're going to delve into that after the break a little bit more. And I'm also going to want to kind of discuss, because we, we talk about employees and you say that you've got a small team, but you've actually got a huge team as well. So it's not just about leading the, the employees. How do you influence business owners who've got their own minds and also consultants to influence others? Just wondering what, what, what that's going to look like. You're listening to the talkradio.nyc this is the Mind Behind Leadership with me, Graham Dobbin. We're speaking to Mike Macedonio this evening. We'll be right back after these. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So that's seven o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day.
And welcome back to Mind Behind Leadership. Mike, we were speaking before the break about the family meal and also about the kind of team that you've got around you and, and how you need to lead them. Now, one thing you snuck in when you explained about the family meal and that you didn't explain to me when I first came up to your gorgeous house uh, up, at, up in the hillside overlooking Santa Rosa and in, in the wine valleys. And you didn't tell me I had to cook my own meal. <laughs> that was a bit of a shock. <laughs> What's the thinking behind that? Why, why would you make a Scotsman cook something? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the culture of the family meal is not to go out there and get a caterer to service meals. The, the idea of the family meal is to be a team-building activity where people understand the team is everyone involved. And some people don't know how to cook and they're pouring wine. And some people can't even do that and they're helping clean and or they're helping serve. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me in these family meals because sometimes they're four or five of us. And there's been other times it's been like 45 of us. And so there's a lot of activity going around. Now, some of the things they'll come up, they go, like, I, I can't believe this, the CEO is doing dishes. And they're like, there's dishes to be done. And I, and I think that's another quality of great leaders is they have a servant heart. And they did to serve the people you know, supposedly that work for them, that are under them. But no, reality is, is your responsibility is to serve them and to inspire them to, to want more, to go more, to do more. And so I, I feel that I'm calling it culture. I also think it's a it's a value system that, that also bonds people. And, and I've been opening, I don't know if I mentioned this to you or other people when we do those things. I said, look, if, if this looks like the type of relationship where we can partner and we can work together and that's going to work, great. And we both have to make that decision. And by doing this, not just once, but literally every time we have an event, when I make mistakes, and I will, somebody might forgive me. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's not, that's not a bad outcome, okay, from having a, a culture and a value system of serving and, and, and working with people in a way that's not traditionally uh, business-related. Well, the, I mean, the, the, the insight from my side is I am such a good cook that I was always the one to play with the dogs. So, <laughs> so I wasn't even allowed to clean. <laughs> Graham, I, I think one of them is starting to bark because he hears your voice right now, just so you know. <laughs> Bring them home. Um, so, Mike, you said you've got 1,700 members. So they are tend to be business owners who probably have a lot of the same kind of dreams that you and I had when we were first kicking off and starting out and, and doing our own thing. Very independent-minded, very focused on their own business. But now they've got those rules to maybe sit within, within a culture, within a process. And then you've got some consultants who've got their own business, but have also got a serving mindset. And then you've also got coaches who want to serve these people as well. How do you manage that? How do you keep inspiring everyone and leading everyone? Well, I, I, we're fortunate in one respect that BNI has an overall culture. Uh, a, a culture of, of inclusiveness, a, a culture of giving, a culture of helping. Uh, it's a very relational type of environment. Okay, And there is also rules in place to maintain people's reputation. So I think I'm kind of blessed to have those systems in place. 
Um, and, and I'll tell you, you know, those are what you're mentioning, uh, day-to-day challenges you're going to have, you know, with people working together and, and working, trying to help each other. But I'll tell you one of the things that probably scares me the most right now is this economy that we have um, has got a lot of people frightened. And when when small business owners get scared, uh, sometimes they do things that scare me even more. And I'll see them retreat or hide, okay, or not respond to what's going on. And, you know, that lack of response is going to be detrimental to their business. And so, like, I feel that the past five months, um, my whole mission became to show business owners to keep paddling. If you're in rough waters, keep paddling. You pull your oars in and you let that boat drift, you don't know where it's going. And so figure out the things that you can do today for your business. And some of those were just calling up the people you know and they like you and find out how they're doing. You know, and, 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 and this is, here's, here's an example. The, the personal training industry has gotten hit pretty hard. Yep. Uh, most of the gyms are closed. You can't even go in there. And I've seen some personal trainers that have completely reinvented themselves. You know, my son's one of them. He has built his practice over seven years by going to a facility and working with clients one-to-one. And all of a sudden, there is no meeting with his clients. Okay? And immediately, he converted 85% of those clients to virtual training and continued oh. to maintain the business with 85% of it. A month or so later, I asked him, I said, so how are things going to be different when you go back? He says, well, it'll all be different now because with the virtual training, I'm now working with people on the East Coast and I'm in California. So he now has an audience bigger than his little village. And where people that in that industry that have pulled in their oars and waited for business to come back and open up, okay, their business is gone. And my son's out there trying to buy his first home. You know, so you 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 want to be a keep paddling. And then the second thing that I'm really encouraging business owners to do is, is get more people in your boat. Get more people in your boat. Don't be the Mike Macedonio that started off trying to do everything on your own, self-sufficient, independent, working hard and working a lot. Work smarter and collaborate with other business owners that could move you through the rough waters, but also at a quick recovery when you do get back. One of the things I kind of alluded to, I was working in um, Australia earlier this year, just, just before all this happened. And it really struck me when I got there that I'd almost forgotten about the bushfires. And the bushfires had only sort of stopped a matter of two or three weeks before I got there. It really calmed down. But that devastated the whole country. And then they've kicked into this. Um, I mean, you had something similar on a smaller scale. So you, you, you guys were pulling through this a couple of years ago. Yeah. So uh, it was actually, we went through it a couple of years ago. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, uh, fires ravaged the city again in October. Yep. Okay. And so a lot of the city in this micro economy, if you would, was shut down. And, and then that was, was then followed up by power outages, where our utility companies were literally turning off power for days to all businesses and houses for the threat of the high winds causing another fire. Wow. 
So, uh, yeah, there's, there's been a, a number of setbacks. And, and, but here's the thing with, the, with these setbacks. And this one here is unprecedented. And, and by the way, I, I felt like the 2008 recession was unprecedented as well. I think we also, as small business owners, can't get too overconsumed by the macro economy, thinking that's affecting our micro economy. It is possible because we don't rely on the gross domestic product of the state or the country. Okay, we rely on X amount of clients producing X amount of revenue. And, you know, in those times of setback, more recently and even in 2008, 9, and 10, we worked with plenty of business owners, okay, that not only survived that period, but actually thrived. You know, I mentioned the mortgage industry shrinking by 60%. And one of our clients, who is an average earner already in the mortgage industry, literally doubled her income during the recession. And you say, well, you got a banking crisis. Well, her microeconomy okay, yeah. is affected by her activities, not yeah. what the trend of economy as a whole does. You know, uh, Referral Institute at that time, even though our industry collapsed, because organizations were not putting money back into trainings and training employees. They were putting it into downsizing. Uh, and yet, you know, for our company, that first year, we were up 8% comp sales. And the next three years, we were up double-digit comp sales every year. Would you so I would, you know, I would, I would suggest to anyone, don't not, oh, don't, do not feel that your business or your microeconomy has to be what's happening on the global or national level. What do you put that, that, that down to? Do you just put that down to attitude and activity? Well, cool? we started up talking about how a lot of times people get fearful mm-hmm. when they're watching what's going on around them. There's, there's fires going on, there's power going out, there's businesses being closed. Uh, and when they get fearful, they, they stop responding. They stop acting. They stop taking the actions. Okay. And they go into retreat mode. Okay. That's the oars coming in. Right. And so the business owners that says, no, I'm going to paddle. Matter of fact, maybe I need to paddle harder. No, matter of fact, I'm going to get more people in here and I want to inspire them to paddle even harder with me. And then those come out of it. Okay, not only surviving, but thriving. And, and, you know, yes, you may need to amplify the the number of activities you're doing to offset your restrictions. Yeah, but it's it's absolutely possible. And it's it's. There's, um, there, there, I read something last week. It was, it was from a, 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 a coaching, um, um, a coaching scent, and um, they said one of the reasons that coaches don't have enough business at the moment is because they've not got enough proposals out there. They've not got enough quotes out there. The more quotes, the more business you'll get. So just focus on that. Don't focus on winning the business. Focus on doing the right activity. The more you get out, the more will happen. And it just felt so logical. <laughs> you know, it's so almost so simple, but yeah, and we'll always be able to refine how we go to a market. But having that having that activity up front is is going to be key. Um, just just before we go to the break, very quick question. We've only got a minute to go. What's it like working with your wife? Just throw that one in there, and, and, and be careful; she might be listening. <laughs> I actually I actually think that's one of my superpowers that I can help people with when they're when they have their spouse involved in their business. And, and I can show people on how to uh, love your business and love your spouse working together because we work completely together. And, and, and there is there is a rule because we have multiple business it, within each business. There's one boss. 
Okay. And in some businesses, that's her. That means if it has to come to a final decision, it's going to be hers. And there are some times that that decision is going to be mine. Okay. And we both respect that that final decision is going to come here, even though we may have input. Well, you're, we're, we're, hopefully you're going to be the boss at one point, an influencer, because we desperately want Dawn on as a guest on here as well at some point. I'm so sure after, the, after the break, we're going to ask you, you you've written a book, best, uh, Time, New York Times bestseller. We're going to kind of delve into that. And also, one of the things from this survey is about what the best traits of a leader are. What are the things that really make a leader stand out? We're going to want to know what Mike Macedonio's traits. What's the top three traits a leader should have? You're listening to The Mind Behind Leadership here live on talkradio.nyc in New York. It's Graham Dobbin with Mike Macedonio. We'll be back right after these messages. Talking Alternative Radio. 24 hours a day. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Welcome back to the Mind Behind Leadership. We're speaking with Mike Macedonio this evening. Mike, New York Times best-selling author. Everybody I speak to, every business person tells me they've got a book in them. Every business person tells me this is a year. This is a year I was going to write it, including myself. But you've actually done it. How did you do it? Talk us through that. Well, it was actually recommended to me based on some... Uh, what I call truth or delusions, where people think they're going to help their business that really doesn't work or things that they're not thinking of that actually can make a big difference. And I would use them in workshops and speaking just to kind of engage the audience. And uh, I had a gentleman come up to me. He says, uh, you know, you ought to write a book. And I literally laughed it off. I don't even write a book. I can't even spell. I don't even write a book. And I just laughed it off. I'm not, I'm not a book writing kind of guy. And uh, the more we talked about it and stuff, when we started challenging each other, on these different truth or delusions. And ultimately, we came up with like 48 of them. And you know, here's the thing that worked for me. Uh, first of all, uh, hooking my wagon to one of the top authors on networking, referral marketing, relationship marketing, Dr. Ivan Meisner. 
Um, and I will tell you, the first time I pitched a book to him, he thought it was a bad idea because we were trying to build referral institute and we had no foundation. <laughs> he goes, first you need to build a foundation, then we can talk about a book. One year later, I came back, pitched the exact same book, the exact same way. He's like, this is a great idea. This is going to make a great book. <laughs> and then the next step is bringing in the experts. Now, this is not something that uh, I was going to be pumping up. Now, I had plenty of notes. I had plenty of diagrams. Uh, but I literally brought in several editors, one that actually stayed with us in Rhode Island in a blizzard, and all weekend, we were talking about these truth of delusions. He was redundantly recording it and typing everything we're talking about. And then we would give him all of our notes. And so through that editor, the stuff actually got transcribed, printed. Uh, and then, of course, there's layout editors and design editors. So we had all of the, uh, call the major players, okay, publisher, agents, all yep. of that. Now, but here's, here's the most interesting thing to me. The book gets released. The day after the book gets released, I get a phone call from Ivan Meisner. Now, I'm, do I'm doing a book signing, so I'm on a book tour. I'm in Wisconsin. I'm in this real swanky hotel. You've probably heard of it. Best Western. And I, and, I, and I take my call, and he says, hey, you're a best-selling author. Can you get online? I go, yeah, I'm at the Best Western. And he goes, go to Amazon. And I go to Amazon, and the book is, you know, it's, it's kind of a moving target every time you refresh the page. But every time I'm refreshing the page, it's going up, 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 up. And at one point, I said, you're not going to believe this. Okay, this is the day after the book is released. This book just hit number one overall, not business books, not marketing, number one book without any sex or violence or scandals in it on Amazon. <laughs> and he says, you're kidding me. I go, you'll never guess who number two is. He goes, who? I go, Donald Trump. His book, Why We Want to Be Rich, just got passed by a couple of nobodies. Now, here's the thing. We both had publicists. We both had agents. We both had all of that stuff. One, and you're going to believe his muscle in that area is a lot bigger. But through our relationships, and there were 96 of them, all got thank you notes from me, they knew hundreds and sometimes thousands of people that would be interested in a book like this. And through them, okay, through collaboration, these people moved thousands of books for us, which pushed it to... Bestseller on Amazon, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and of course you mentioned New York Times. So, so uh, if you cut up a couple of things in the air, you know, get help, yep. team up, all right, bring in professionals, and utilize other people besides the normal marketing methods. There seems to be a bit of a theme through this: get help and team up. Uh, who do you look up to in business? Who do you? Uh, Believe it or not, uh, Ivan Meisner. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I suggest this to anyone that's in business and wants to excel. Find someone that you can absolutely, I'm going to say idolize. And if that's really the wrong words. I don't idolize people. I have a high regard for them. Yep. See, there's a myth going around that if you do what successful people do, you're going to be successful. <laughs> and it's a myth in many cases because without a couple of things to support that, it falls apart. The first thing is, if you're going to, you want to follow the tracks of somebody that's successful, you have to be able to evaluate a few things. And the first is, is what they did then, not what they're doing now, going to get to be where I want to be? Okay? I can't do what Richard Branson's doing now. Yeah. I got to find out what Richard Branson was doing when he was at my level. Now, the second question I have to look at is, is that still relevant? If I was running for public office and I did with Abraham Lincoln did, you know, 
driving around on a train is probably not going to get me elected. Right? So it has to be relative. So, and here's the key, the final, final key. Is there a values match? There are people that have been successful that have been ruthless. And if it's not your nature to be ruthless, trying to do what they did is not going to work. Yep. Colonel Sanders was a ruthless man. He killed his competition. If you're not capable of murder, you probably are not going to be successful following his formula. Now, here's why Ivan works so well for me. If you understand where his value and where he's coming from, this man is all about the underdog. You know, and, and, and I didn't just listen to him. I studied him. I read his books. I listened every time he talked. I sat in his meetings. And within a few short years, I became very good at making decisions like Ivanwood. Okay. And I did. Every time I was trying to move the company forward to do something else, I would ask myself the question, what would Ivan do? What would Ivan do? And in the beginning, I would even ask him. But eventually I felt like I got this. I know exactly yeah. the way he thinks and the way he would approach a problem. And by the way, he is a master chess player. Okay. And uh, so find somebody that you absolutely admire with a great value assessment that's still relevant and study them as close as you can to find out what their thought process is and what their decision-making process is. So that, that takes us on really nicely to having a look at the traits of leaders. So I've, I've got, I've got the, 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 the answers here, but just very quickly in you know, the final couple of minutes that we've got, three traits of the, that leaders should have, great leaders. And you told me to stick to three, so it's a little challenging. <laughs> See, the ones that come right off is, you know, empathy, um, inspiration, uh, visionaries. And, and then, but after visionaries, I would say it's the, and I've already mentioned service hot, uh, I think it's mission-driven leaders, you know, that they know where they're going, but they also want to stay, stay on small business or a lot of business. There's always distractions. There's always things taking off track. And the mission creates your not-to-do list. You know, my, my kids are giving me this animated book for Father's Day when they were little on leadership. And I'm reading a cartoon book on leadership, but I figured my kids gave this to me. I have to read it. And I'm reading along, and the author made this comment. As a leader, you're no one until somebody hates you. I'm like, oh, okay, where's he going with this? He goes, you're no one until someone hates you. And then I read on. And what he was making the point as about being mission-driven okay, means you're not a people pleaser. You're not trying to make everyone happy along the way. Sometimes you're going to make a decision and someone's not going to be happy with you. Yeah. Okay. That's when you know you're a leader. And so it's been one of those sayings that's kind of been in my head so many times that you're no one until somebody hates you. So if sometimes I get somebody's backslash. I get a little, I must be a someone today. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling I must be a great leader as well. Then. <laughs> um, do you want to know the answers as well? So we're, we're really on the right line. I, yes, what did the experts say? They, well, the employees have said, for the largest companies, transparency, empathy, and open-mindedness. And you're saying empathy, inspiration, visionary, and none of those talk about knowledge. None of those talk about skill. They all talk about a being, an attitude, a way of, a way of approach. And kind of that, that's what we look at here. Uh, you know, the mind behind leadership is, What's behind everything away from the academic level of it? So it's really interesting. That's what people catch up on mm -hmm. is the open-mindedness. Um, and as you say, empathy. 
So anything around there just really shows it. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. That hour has just flown in. And just to help everybody, anyone that's listening, if you want to go to the mindbehind.com, what we've done there is just going on the theme of this evening. We've got a couple of assessments on there that people can download. They can look at um, how their own network is, where their business is at the moment. We've got some webinars coming up on, on just how to create that collaboration. And if you really, really, really want to listen this, to this again, there's a little button on there as well that you can register. When we've got it all ready tomorrow, we'll send it to you because you might just want to listen to, to well, Mike, you'll want to listen to Mike. You won't want to listen to me again, but I'm sure you want to listen to Mike. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're welcome on any time at all. Thank you so much. Give my love to Dawn and Thank tell you. her that we want her on the show as well at some point. It's such a pleasure. So totally enjoyed uh, it. This is the Mind Behind Leadership. This is uh, me, Graham Dobbin, has been speaking with Mike Macedonio this evening. I thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I am Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a curious person always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York 
a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 